Um, I'm going to read through this passage while the kids are dismissing. I'm going to read through the passage, and I think after I'm done reading through this passage, uh, then I'm going to pray again. Let me just share this with you. Luke chapter 9, starting with verse 18. Now it happened that, that as he was praying alone, this is talking about Jesus, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will, will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until, he see, until they see the kingdom of God. Let me go back to the verse I'm going to focus on this week. Three things I want to say before I pray. One, there are passages of Scripture as I go through Luke. There are passages that it's not that they're more important, but they're definitely more weighty, right? Heavy than others. This is one of those, okay? Um, number two, I need to mention... When I first became a Christian, when I, first in my, when I was in my 20s, I first really started seeking after Jesus, I would have come to a passage like this and thought to myself, man, I can explain this, no problem. And I found that even though I know that I know more than I used to know, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of what this all means. And that weighed on me heavy this week. The more I studied this, the more I thought, do I really even know what I'm talking about? I know that you probably don't want to hear that from your pastor, but I'm sitting here telling you that I feel, feel like I'm scratching the surface of what Jesus is talking about when he says these words. It's important words. And I don't want to miss what it means. And I used to think, oh, piece of cake, I know what this means. But now I'm like, I think I know what it means. I have the general idea and so I want to pray, and my prayer is going to have three parts to it. One, that my mind has understood and will understand rightly, maybe not completely or wholly, but rightly what this text says. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, so I'm going to pray that my mind has understood and what I'm going to convey to you. Second, that my words that I would then say, so from the brain to the mouth, right, that God would... I mean, here's the thing. We, we're hoping for a supernatural thing today. We forget this on Sundays, but that's what we hope for every week, okay? Is something supernatural is going to happen. That, and I use the word somehow because I, I'm going to be honest. I don't fully grasp the fullness of how this happens. But somehow, 
God, by his spirit, will be present in me in such a way that as I speak, that the, the words that you receive will be sp- the spirit of God-led words, right? That's supernatural. We're praying and hoping for a miracle today. And so I, I have, I'm going to pray that God will do this so that in such a way that I, I'm, I'm going to be completely just right up front with you in such a way I'm praying that I, it will almost be as if I'm sitting along beside you at the feet of the Savior learning, Lord, help me understand what this text means, okay? Third, I want to pray that our hearts will be pliable to the truth. You know what pliable means? Bendable, moldable, right? Pliable to the truth. That ourselves would be denied, that we would deny self in the hearing. We would, we would be ready to bear a cross out of this building. I mean, this is what Jesus is talking about, that we would follow Jesus in all of our lives through the days of this week. That's my prayer. So I'm going to pray that right now. I'm going to encourage you to pray those three things with me in your minds and your hearts. And then we're going to dig into this, this verse. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray these three, these three things right now. First of all, Lord, I'm asking that my mind, me personally, my mind would, would have understood as I studied, understood rightly, Lord, even as I'm speaking these things, that I would have clarity of thought to understand what this text is saying, what you are saying to us through this text. Lord, I pray as well that you would... Lord, supernaturally allow my words to be led by the very Spirit of God as I speak. And I pray that as well that every single heart in this room will be ready and willing to hear what is being said and understand how it applies to them and what they ought to do or think or act. Lord, whatever that may be, help us to be ready to accept what you have to say to us today. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the structure of this verse, let's start off with the structure of this. This is very different than last week's, right? Last week, we took a look at this concept through example. And if you weren't here last week, I did upload this. Um, it, I had the microphone messed up, and so the microphone was the microphone from the thing, so it sounds like I'm at a distance. Um, and, but we talked about this in terms of, here's an example. Adoniram Judson is what we, who we talked about. Just let's, let's take a peek at this guy. What, is, what was his life like to look at what does this mean? Well, this week we're going to break down this passage of Scripture. Notice it starts off, as says, if anyone would, and so that word would sometimes is translated wishes, wants. I mean, so if you're here today and you're like, I'd like to follow Jesus. Like, I'd like to come after Jesus, where Jesus is going, let me follow, I want to be a disciple. If you're sitting here today and you would like to be a disciple of Jesus, that's what this verse is talking about. So you, do you see already the weightiness of this? Like, what, what does it mean? Some of you know this, when we studied Acts, in the book of Acts, there's this, this story about this church in Antioch, and then there's this little comment that's made, and it says, and disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So when we're talking about disciples of Jesus, we're talking about, do you want to be a Christian? Okay? Do you really want to be a Christian? I think I am convinced that there are a lot of people that would say yes to that, but the reality is they do not want to be a Christian. Not really. Not what it's described as. Now we see three elements laid out here. There's three verbs. If you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you want to follow after him, three things. One, three verbs. Deny yourself, right? That's himself, herself, ourselves. Denying of self. Secondly, it's taking up this cross. And third, it's following daily. Okay? The third verb, and I'm going to talk about this more later, the third verb that follow me and follow me 
actually flows from the way the tense of these verbs are laid out. So that one of my commentaries is a big, thick one. Actually, I'm going to bring it in a couple of weeks to show you because uh, it's like this thick. And what's awesome about it is it just says volume one, and it's like verse one, one to verse, uh, chapter nine, verse 50. We're almost through volume one, and volume two is thicker. So just I'm just heads up. We've been in this for over a year. Um, <clears throat> so he, he said in there, he said, the way these verbs are are structured is that that third one, follow me, emerges from the first two, okay? So I, I thought a good example of this would be like when I was young, and my mom may have said, get up, get dressed, and go to school, right? Three things you got to do, but the third one flows from the first two, right? Hopefully, you've gotten up before you go to school, and please make sure you're getting dressed before you go to school, right? So get up, get dressed, go to school. So the, the going to school involves, a, I mean, to really do this thing, you're doing these other two things, and that flows from that. And that's kind of the structure of these verbs. Now I'm going to take a look at this first one here, the denying of self. Let's take a look at this one first. I'm going to look at this one, what it isn't and then what it is. Okay, What it's not. This is not, now there's a word asceticism. This is not what some people call asceticism. And there's lots of versions of this. You see a lot of this in a lot of other religions. Just self-discipline, self-denial just for the sake of doing it. Okay? I think that this is captured by one guy in particular. His name was Simon Stylite. Several years ago, this is a drawing of him. He spent, I think it was like 37 years on the top of a pillar, on a platform. Just denied Himself, any indulgences of anything, he survived on people bringing things up. I had in my mind all kinds of questions about how this actually worked. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they, no one of the historians tell us how this was working, but I'm sure he figured it out. Gravity, I'm sure, helped. Uh, so but I'm, I'm sitting there like, okay, how did, but it's denial of, like, this, this is the extreme of it. But there are people who look at, Christianity, and there's a lot of other religions, like I said, do this. You see a lot of this in Buddhism and Hinduism. There's a lot of people look at Christianity and think some of it's just like, if it's almost the way we look at a, like food sometimes, if it's good, you can't have it, right? I mean, that's how it feels sometimes. But, but that's how some people look at Christianity, and they're like, oh, if it's just, but just get rid And that, that is not at all what Jesus is talking about, Okay. It's not self-denial just for the sake of denying yourself. It's not just giving up stuff just for the sake of doing it. There's variations of that that we'll have to talk about eventually, and I think this is actually going to be what my Wednesday night is about because there's this example of fasting. There's a, there's a part of that where like denying of this, but it's for this purpose. And we'll get into that, but Jesus is not talking about just if it's good, get rid of it. I, I don't want to have anything good in my life. And it's just making myself miserable. There's uh, branches of Christianity that will take, and I, I was trying to think of what the name is called, a, where they'd take like the whip and they'd walk down the street and they'd beat themselves down the street um, in their prayer. Just like if I'm causing myself this pain, that's, that, that is not what this verse is talking about, okay? Now let's think about what it is talking about. Did I mention that I broke this sermon up into like four yeah, it's getting, it's grown to four. I just, heads, heads up. It, yeah, it'll be six. It was going to be really one really long one. Charity's my sounding board. Is do it. Charity's my sounding board. And sometimes as I go to try to explain things, it, I would just wait for that expression on her face. If it's like I'm getting it, if she's like I'm not getting what you're saying, if it's too much. Like I know when I've reached a limit. 
right? And so then I'm like, okay, that needs to be two sermons. Oh, that needs to be another one. Okay. I, I love this topic, though. Okay, it's, it's an interesting thing. So G, this, this phrase, deny yourself, this is the only place you find it. Jesus is the only one that says, deny yourself. You don't see it anywhere else in the New Testament. I, when I first was looking at it, I was like, that, that can't be right. And so I started looking, and it's true. I would have said uh, two weeks ago, self-denial was all throughout the whole Bible. You could just find it all over the place. You don't. What you do find is forms of it. You don't find it in this form. These, this particular phrase, deny yourself, Jesus in this context is the only one who says that particular phrase. I'm sharing with that with you because, number one, it's interesting. Number two, like I said, I thought it was all over the place. But what I found is it's not in this form, but it is permeated. There's elements of it that were throughout. And so to understand it, I thought, okay, to understand this, I need to look for where does this concept show up? How do the other uh, New Testament writers talk about it? And I kind of honed in on Paul the Apostle. He does a, most of that teaching uh, letters throughout the New Testament. So let me share some things where you see this played out. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. Some of you are going to want to jot the, if, if you miss any and you're like, he went too fast, I will, I will print off the, this list of scriptures for anybody that wants it, if you want to go back, because every single one of these verses I got, I'm going to show you today could have a sermon all on its own. Okay? But what we're doing is we're looking at hints of what does it mean to deny, deny ourselves. We just want some little hints. What is, what's it talking about? Just clues to kind of get the direction of what does it mean to deny yourself? Now, I'm assuming that everybody in here goes, at least to some degree, is going, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, so, so this is, let's, let's look at it. It started in Galatians. There's a couple in Galatians that really kind of helped me grab this concept. The first one is Galatians 2.20. You see a lot of this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So I've, I've been crucified with him. Now, obviously, I haven't literally been crucified with him, but in some way, I have been crucified with him, according to Paul. I've been crucified with Christ. There's no, it's not me that's living, right? But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, so this life that I'm living in this human body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I think that there, there's, you start to get a concept of this. There, there's some dying here anybody in here just goes i love death not death metal <laughs> i love death just i i love it when people die no it's terrible it's terrible galatians 5 24 another one from galatians those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires i think we start to get to get a better glimpse of this what's it, what's it talking about the flesh has been crucified with this. And I, I think that we all start to get a shadowy understanding of what this is. You all, if, if your desires and wants, if we just walked around and there was a screen on our forehead and it was showing the things that cross our mind that we want would be horrified. Right? It's all of us. I'm not excluded from that. The disgusting things that have popped into my head that I, 
and the things that I've craved or desired in my life. I mean, it's, it's horrifying. And I think we're talking about that stuff, don't you? Hmm. And so in some way, it's about killing that, putting that on the cross. When Jesus went to pr- nail that to the, get rid of that, there's something about that, okay? Let's, let's do some more. Um, I'm going to move to Romans now. I'm going to tell you, there's so many in Romans, I had to really trim it down. So I'm going to show you several, and you're going to go, that's the trimmed down version? Yes, this is trimmed down. Romans 6, um, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? About the grace of God. I mean, aren't you so glad that God's grace, that our salvation is not dependent on, on you being perfect? Aren't you so glad about that? You're so, I'm so glad about that. But then Paul says, should we, he's been teaching on grace, and he gets to this part in Romans, and he goes, should we continue in sin that grace should abound? So, like, with that knowledge, well, let, let me ask you this. Is there a parent in here that's been forgiving of their child that then told the child, said, I wanted you to know that I've been so forgiven because I want you to do as much bad stuff as you want, and I'm always going to forgive you. Like, there's a part of you, like, I'm always going to forgive you because you're my child, but please stop. I mean, there's, there's an element of that, and there, that's the reality that we're talking about here. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? But then it uses this expression, by no means. That is obviously not what that's about. Grace is not so that you can just go, I can just live however I want. By no means. And then he asks this question, how, can, how is it possible that we who... And here's this dying thing again. How... How can we who died to sin still live in it? Like there's something really off with a person that goes, that goes I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, I, I, I've been saved by the grace of God, but they keep on sinning. There's something really off about that. Does that mean that we're all living perfect lives and none of us in it? Obviously not, but, can, but there's still there's something there, isn't there? Something is off. People that just continue on in their sin. Something's not right with this picture is what Paul's saying. How is that possible? You keep on going through Romans 6, get down to verses 6 and 7. He says, we know that our old self was crucified. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. i got to pause. I'm sorry. Theologians work through these passages, and there are volumes written on what exactly is Paul talking about. I'm not doing that. What I'm doing is let's take a, I think that most of us with just a little bit of knowledge can grasp the basic concept of what Paul is saying. We know that our old self was crucified with who I used to be. Now, for those of you who've been here a long time, there's a Matt Harmless that never really got to come to fruition because God saved me. Matt Harmless has, goes by another name. And some of you in this room know that Matt Harmless. What's his name? Jimmy Buffett. The Matt Harmless that wanted to come out was Jimmy Buffett, and God saved me from that. But this, that's my old self. When I picture in my mind old Matt, like when I'm like the old self was crucified, that, that version of Matt, the beard is like, boom, with some like braids in it and like beads down hanging in it. And I got, I'm pretty sure I got some like, natty matted dreadlock hair and i got like a a, used to be a dress shirt but without sleeves and no t-shirt underneath and i'm like on the beach right and that's the guy i mean he 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 lies to me all the time he's like dude you should come hang out with me life is good it's five o'clock somewhere right i mean he's like come on matt we're gonna have a party 
But that old self is crucified with Christ. That guy's got to die. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Let's go down a little bit further in Romans. See how, man, I could, we could spend the rest of the day on that, could we? Um, Romans uh, 6, let's go a little bit, little bit further. So you, mu- you also must consider yourselves. Now, this helped me a lot when com- comprehending this because I'm, I'm sitting like, I've died to sin and my old self has died, but I'm like, he doesn't feel dead all the time. And so this consider, help me, because this word consider means just think about it that way. That's how I'm going to look at it. I'm going to consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments. So your members, you want to talk about your members? These fingers are members of my body. These eyeballs are members of my body. This meat computer, this brain inside of my skull is part of my body. I, that, don't present these parts of me, this flesh, don't give that over to do what this, the flesh wants, right? Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but instead present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Honestly, if we just do all of Romans 6, I could keep going through that. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Romans 8. Um, actually, I'm going to skip these next two. We're going to... We, we can come back to that. I mean, I'm going to read them, but I, 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 we can get really bogged down and just examine these. I, I want you to just look at those and just think, like, I want, what I'm hoping is when you see these, you go, I need to read that some more. That's what I want. We can't do all this Sunday morning. If, you're, if your entire spiritual growth is wrapped up in what you hear from me on Sunday morning, you're going to crash and burn. You need to be in the Word of God. You need to be looking at these passages and go, I need to do some more reading in that, Right? I need, to, I need to look at all of Romans 6 now. I need to look at all of Romans 8, okay? Uh, I'm, so I'm giving you tastes. Taste. Just little samples, right? Like when you go to the store and they got the little samples, they give you little samples. You're like, oh, that's really good. And then you want another one, the person's like, no, you can't keep just taking it. Go, go, get, go buy a package, right? That's what you need to do. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to We're debtors. What, what do you think the debtors is talking about? What, how are we indebted to somebody? Answer this question for you. How are we, in, how are we debtors? Who, who are we debtors to? Christ. What did he do? Died for us. Gave us life. It's free by his grace. So we're debtors, but it's not one of these like, I owe him big. That's not what it is. Like, there's this debt of gratitude. We're debtors, right? Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death, oh, I love, there's another version of this that at some point I'm going to try to talk charity into sharing some of this, but we, we used to have this thing that we talk about, this put to death, some version translate mortify, kill, kill, just like, I just, like, take a knife to the flesh, like, I'm going to kill the flesh. Now, you guys are like, okay, I, some of you look at me like I'm weird. I'm telling you right now, I have had mental battles with my flesh where i have verbally fortunately nobody was around me when i was doing this but i was being tempted to 
think this way or do this thing or, or, or just contemplate. And, and I literally out loud was like, no flesh, kill you, I'm going to kill you. Kind of, you got to be careful where you're doing it. You don't want to be in the middle of Walmart. Although this Walmart, you'd fit right in. You might fit right in. I'm gonna kill you, right? Kill the flesh, kill the flesh. And that little chant, kill the flesh, kill the flesh. Like when you start to recognize that passion, there's some passions you start to recognize, some driving forces in your heart that you start to recognize when you finally see them for what they are. And you're like, that's flesh. And when you finally see it, when you get that glimpse of what it really is, I mean, that, that Jimmy Buffett ver- version of Matt, he doesn't tell me all the horrible things that that life would get, bring to me. But when I start to recognize a, a life that is indulged in myself, I start to recognize what it is. And then you start to go, you see those little passions creep up and you go, no, 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 kill the flesh. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to skip over this and go to the next. Now, here two things about this. <clears throat> I wish I could blank. Can I blank my screen? I don't know. Let me go back. I'll just leave this one up there. Two things about this denying of the flesh before we move on. One, yourself is not going to take this well. Okay? Yourself is going to take this like a crazy ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend, okay? They're not, self is not going to get the hint when you start denying self, which is tough because you're going to have to share the house with self for the rest of your life, right? Self can't move out because you're stuck in the same body. But self is not going to take it well. This body you live in, is going to take self-side on everything. And you're going to find this is going to be a lifelong battle. John Owen, who was a preacher several hundred years ago, said, he, he, he put this phrase, he's got a book called The Mortification of Sin. Do you hear that? Like the killing of sin. And he, he, he's talking about, the, the book is about how it's a, it's a lifetime thing. It's not something you do and then it's done. It's This is for the rest of your life. And he has this phrase in there, be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. I love that. Be killing sin or it's going to be killing you. You ought to be actively killing sin in your life for the rest of your life. You're never going to be free of it. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. But this is to what you've been called. Darrell Bach, the, one of my theologians that I read, he said this. Um, he says, the essence of saving trust in God is self-denial, a recognition, a recognition that he must save because disciples cannot save themselves. I mean, that, that, this a concept of what, where he's going with is wrapped up in this, this, this package. That life must be given over into God's care and protection. Part of this trusting in God is, the, the, okay, this may sound like duh, but to trust in God means that you're going to trust in God, right? Like how many people go, yeah, I believe in God, but, and then I say, well, God says you should do this. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But you're not trusting in God. That's what it's talking about. Disciples do not, do not respond to their own personal wills, right? So it's not about, see, and, and this is so many more things we talk about. This isn't even about like willpower. 
It's about saying, I'm not going to respond to my own personal will, but I'm going to respond to God's will. There's a fundamental recognition of allegiance that says, God needs to direct me. I will not and cannot direct myself. Colossians 3. This is going to get down. We're going to, we're going to just sample the nitty-gritty of this, okay? Just sample it. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For Here's this dying thing again. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I like that setting your minds. Take, so what am I going to think about? This week, set my mind. How, how do you set your minds on things above? Is it, is it simply just sitting there going, I'm going to think about heaven? No. I think very much it's like this. That's how you set your mind on things above. Think it's praying, speaking to God. I mean, it can be sometimes sitting and contemplating, but there's a lot. We need a lot of this stuff here to really set your mind on the things above. Colossians uh, 3 goes on to say this, put to death therefore, and Paul gets it, and there's a lot of lists like this you can find in the Bible where Paul gets to it down to the nitty gritty. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. In other words, let's, let's just get right down to it. Kill this stuff in you. When you see it, kill it. I hope you walk away today going, how do I kill it? How do I kill it? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. Kill it. Any version of sexual immorality. You're looking at stuff you shouldn't be looking at. You're thinking about stuff. You, every time that thought comes up, no! Kill it. I'm not going to think about that. Get verbal with yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Talk to, yeah, talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. Yourself, you're stupid. Listen to God. What does he say? Put to death sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Can we skip the next one? Covetousness. Paul's truck. That's a... His truck's nicer than my truck. <laughs> kill it. Kill it. Just kill it. You're looking on Facebook. Oh, they took another vacation, didn't they? Mm, man, why they could have vacation? No, I don't. Kill it. They got a new car, and I got a piece of junk car. Kill it. Because on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. It's those very things that has brought God's wrath to this world. In these you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Ooh, ooh, another list, Paul. Do you have to bring another list into this, Paul? Anger. Wrath. Why, why didn't he just say one of those? Why do you have to do both? Because you angry people need to hear both. Okay? The anger of man is not bringing about the righteousness of God. Malice, slander, obscene talk, 
from your mouth. Get it out of your mouth, that mouth that God gave you. Just get it out of there. No, kill it. Don't lie. Why? Because you've put off the old self with its practice. I mean, there's this, this concept, this denying of self. We talk about it in so many different ways. Killing self, putting off self, destroying self. All these different ways you could talk about it. But in the end of it is, there's this battle that goes on within you where self is trying to take back the reins. But you must submit to God. I'll give you one more thing about what this looks like before I get to the second part. One of the other times that the word deny is used in the Bible is with Peter. Now, how did Peter deny Christ? Think about what he actually did when he was denying Christ. I don't know him. I, I know that I get a little silly sometimes, but honestly, it helps me. But this is, this is a great way to mentally work through it this week. When self starts going, you ought to do this, do that with self. I don't know you. <laughs> I've never met you before in my life. I don't want anything to do with you. You know, nothing. Never even met you. Get out of here. Who are you? That's not me. I'm Christ's, Right? Second thing, self is not going to take it well. The world that you live in is also not going to take this well. Right? You're not going to get the support from the greater world around you. If you've got friends who are not followers of Jesus, they're not going to be reaffirming and supporting these ideas. They're going to say, you need to get yours. Right? You've put up with enough. You need to do this. you got to do this. What about you? The shows you watch are not going to support this. You're not going to watch the shows that you watch, and most of the shows you watch are junk, let's be honest. A bunch of garbage. What we used to call the TV back in the day, the boob tube. Get rid of that stupid thing. We're watching too much of it. It's not helping, right? I like watching some shows too, okay? But is it helpful? Let's be honest. No. It doesn't support those things. Especially Disney. Guys, Disney. I looked at all the kids when I said that. Disney's not going to... Walt Disney is not going to tell you to do the right thing. Disney's going to say, follow your heart. What do you want to do? What's good for you? That's all that, what is that doing? That's just supporting self. Philip Riken and one of my other commentators said this, instead of gratifying ourselves or indulging ourselves in all the ways our sinful nature desires, we are called to deny ourselves, rejecting anything and everything that will get in the way of offering ourselves for God's service. This is almost exactly the opposite of the selfish way our culture is always telling us to live. You know, we, we miss those we miss those things. We talk about all the problems out in culture. I'm going to tell you right now, we could just start right here. Culture pushes you to be selfish, and Christ is calling you to deny self. This is almost exactly the opposite of the selfish way our culture is always telling us to live. We're constantly invited to get what we want out of life, to pamper our every whim and satisfy our every craving. So from the outside and from the inside, it's going to be a battle to the day you die. Now, I'll move through the rest of this quicker because I know your selfish selves are thinking about lunch already. (laughs) Well, deny yourself. Ignore lunch. 
And stick with me here, because I'm only in the one verse. Verse 23, back to this. We've only gotten that far. We've still got two more verbs to cover. Deny yourself, and then he says this, take up your cross. Daryl Bach, again, in my commentary, says, Cross-bearing was a visible public affair that visualized a person's humility before the state. So think, think about that for a second. They not only were like, you're condemned to death. Before you go to die, we're going to make you carry the instrument of death to the place of death, through town. Right? We don't do that. Can you imagine if we, uh, you've been sentenced to, I said the electric chair this morning. My wife said they don't do that anymore. Do they really not do that anymore? Lethal injection, what are we doing? Right? Imagine, imagine the electric chair. You're going to the electric chair. You'll be sentenced this afternoon. You're going to die at 4 o'clock. It's, it's like 2.50. Get your electric chair. Carry it through down Vermillion Street in Danville, all the way down the street until you get to the spot, and then you're going to plug it in, and you're going to sit in it. I mean, talk about on top of the, the humiliation of being paraded through the street on the way to your punishment. Taking up of one's cross was a visible reality. The fundamental idea is of submitting to the authority of another, in this case, God. See, for the criminal, they had, they had rejected the authority of the government or the state or the law, and they, they rejected it, but now it's like, no, you're, you thought you could get away with it for a while, but now the law is going to ride you on the back till you're dead. But when the image is tied to following Jesus, Daryl Bott goes on to say, an additional nuance is suggested. Disciples are following Jesus who, although innocent, will bear the shame of rejection and death. Luke 9, 22. We just talked about this. I mean, Jesus just told the disciples, before he said this to them, he had just told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected and I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified on that cross. And do we know that, does he eventually do that very thing? Absolutely. Disciples are following Jesus who, although innocent, will bear the shame of rejection and death. Thus, submitting to God and following Jesus means walking the road of rejection. Part of that taking up the cross is the reality that this world is not going to, while you're living for Christ. In the end, that's not going to happen with these people that we live, this world that we live in. They're not going to applaud your behavior as a Christian. Jesus had already talked about this just in his, his teaching, just not that long ago in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. They're calling you evil on account of the Son of Man, on his account. Because you're doing what Jesus calls you to do. They're going to go, you're terrible. We see glimpses of this beginning to creep up in our society already. We've had it pretty darn good in this nation. But you ought to have some measure of embracing what might be coming to say, I'm ready to suffer the humiliation of the cross of Christ. Because he also says this, woe to you. Woe to you when all people speak well of you for their fathers did to who? Who does that say? Who, who, who gets always spoken well of? What does it say right there? 
Who? What kind of prophets? False. Is that what you want it to be? No. So thinking about this cross of Christ, it does these two things first. I think it helps us understand the public rejection that goes along with following after Christ. But number two, I think it raises, I'm going to, say, I'm going to call it raising the bar, but basically it just sets the degree, like how far do we go? This is where many of us struggle. Some of us start to embrace this concept of like, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, but, but like how, how, what, what's the stopping point? Like how, how much humiliation or rejection or, or suffering do I go through in this life? How much is too much before I'm like, no, I need to take some time for me? Like what, what, at what point do you go, enough's enough. I got to think about me for a second. I, let, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's a lot of, intricacies of this okay so i don't want you to know i'm not being an idiot up here okay but i do think that our culture steers in the direction of i mean people talk about these sorts of things they steer in the direction of taking care of ourselves way too quickly okay i'm not standing up here going don't take care of yourself that's obviously wrong but i think our culture as a whole we're we're, we're not quite willing enough to suffer for the sake of Christ. Suffering, we, we, live in a, we live in a culture where any type of suffering shouldn't happen at all. Like if you're suffering at all, you're like, something's not right. And your whole life fills off until the suffering stops. And I'm telling you, there's something off with us if we think that's how it's going to be. A couple passages that echo this, because when Christ says, Take up your cross and follow me. We know that he does this first for us. And so we think about that image and think about this passage here, for example. Hebrews chapter 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Consider him. Who's him? Jesus. Okay, so think about him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you not grow weary or faint-hearted so that you're not, you don't get tired of it. So if you're suffering hostility from sinners, we don't want you to get tired of it and quit. We also don't want you to get faint-hearted where you're like, I can't take it. Okay? We don't want either one of those things to happen. And then he says this, the writer of Hebrews. And th this one does it for me. In your struggle against sin... Have you resisted to the point of shedding your blood? I've not gotten there yet. I've not made it that far yet. And I think what he's alluding here is not just like, ooh, I pricked my finger. But I think it's the picture, the image of the cross. When you think about the cross of Christ nailed to that cross and the blood that was shed, the stripes that he bore, that what... what attaching the, the cross to this life does for us is goes, how far does Jesus call us to go? That far. Right? First Peter. After talking about suffering, it says, to this you have been called to suffer. If you came to church or you came to Christ because you wanted him to fix everything, I'm bursting your bubble right now, I know. Okay? 
you need to understand that, uh, like, we've been reading through Luke, and there's been, I mean, has Jesus done some miraculous things for people through Luke? He's done some awesome things, hasn't he? There's been people that are at the point of death, and he, he brought them back to life. There's been people sick and rejected, and he, he restored them. There's all these amazing things. And we read those things, we go, we want those things. But you have to understand that those things from Christ are those things that he's doing to evidence, I am who I am saying that I am. And those are just breakings through little glimpses of the future kingdom that's coming. That's, it's never meant to be the, the, the ultimate. And when he heals somebody, that person's dead now. When he brought somebody back to life, they died again. Okay, they didn't escape it for good. But, but when he does these things, it's evidence to show he is who he says he is. And we're getting glimpses of what he's eventually going to do. But he never points. I mean, when we read, we're studying through Luke here. I mean, this is the same Jesus that brought some people back to life. He's now looking at his own people, his own. And so the ones out there, he's like, heal him. The ones in here, he goes, you're all going to die. That's what, honestly, as a, as a pastor, that's what being a pastor feels like to me. I, I feel like so often it's like, Jesus can save you. And then once you get inside the church, I go, you're going to die. <laughs> it's going to hurt. I feel better when I see that Jesus is doing the same thing, in essence. Healing, 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 healing. He gets his crew together and he goes, okay, listen, I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Take that cross and follow. First Peter, Peter who was there at the time when Jesus said that original teaching, take up your cross and follow. That same Peter that was there and heard this, that recognized that Christ, he's, you're the Christ of God. He's the one that's writing this letter. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Well, I haven't been that bad. Why should I have to suffer? I've been trying to do everything right. I've been eating good. And I've been, I've been being nice to everybody. And I, I'm making all the right decisions. And why should I have to suffer? There's an example laid out for you. He literally committed zero sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled... He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. And if anybody that could have threatened, could he not have threatened? <laughs> I mean, he could have been like, at any point, whip, beating down, pulling across his back, shredding the skin off his back. At any point, he could have said, angels, slay them all. Or he could have just said, I'm going to stop thinking about you, and then he ceased to exist. He did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judged. So in the middle of these horrible things, he's like, God the Father, I trust in you. This is the example that we follow. He himself then bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin. So he did that so that we might do that. You get what that, that's what Peter's saying here? He died to sin so that you could die to sin. He did that so you can do that. And live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were straying like sheep. 
but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. For to this you have been called, back to verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Last verb, follow me. He said, oh, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow. I mentioned this earlier. Daryl Bach was the one that pointed out that he says, the tense sequence shows that fundamental decisions, fundamental decisions, okay, so he's talking big. I, these are the sentences I have to read like five times. I read it and I'm like, what'd he say? It takes me a long time to read books sometimes, I gotta be honest with you. The tense sequence shows that the fundamental decisions about made about the self. So what are the fundamental decisions you're making about yourself? You're denying it, right? That's what he's talking about. So these daily times where you're like, self wants to do this? I'm like, no. Self wants to, no. So these fundamental decisions about denying self and about day-to-day bearing the cross, day-by-day bearing this cross, those two things together emerge into a continual following of Jesus. In other words, the last act emerges from the others. So how do you follow Jesus? You die to self, you deny yourself, you take up that cross daily and follow. That's how you follow. So I guess the real question is, now we're going to get into, this is not going to be over. See, we've gotten a taste of this. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at, because Jesus, after he says this, he, after he says this, he actually says the next three verses, he, he says this and he goes, four, and he, gets, he basically gives three reasons why. Okay? Do this. Because of this, because of this, because of this. That's what we're going to look at in the coming weeks. Why? I think the question that I just want to propose to you today is, do you even really want to be a disciple? Do you even really want to? I mean, do you, do you, are you, I mean, are you really thinking about what's being said here? If you're thinking about it, you might be going, I might need to rethink this thing. Good. Rethink it, right? We're not locking you in here, okay? The doors, we might lock the doors so people can't come in, you know, when we're not here. But anytime you want to go, you can go. This is a terrible way to build a good big church, isn't it? I'm a terrible pastor. There's the door. But honestly, that's really what you need to do. Do you really want in on this? Do you really want in on this? I mean, the reasons he's going to give are glorious. Read, read ahead of me. Don't, don't wait for me to get there. Read ahead of me this week. Luke, what, what does Jesus say? Why? He talks about if you really want to save your life, you've got to lose it. People that try to save their lives lose their lives. You spend this life trying to save your life, you're going you're gonna to lose it. That's the first one he says. I would say most of us in this room spend 90% of our time trying to save our lives. And here Jesus goes, do you want to save your life? You've got to lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. What's that talking about? I'm going to jump ahead. There's a passage we're going to get to, Luke chapter 14. I just want to read a couple things that Jesus does say to his disciples later because I think that they started thinking about this too. You, you would, wouldn't you? He says, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, now kids, this is not a reason why you can be mean to your mom and dad. That's not what this is about, okay? Just, just so you know. In comparison, though, the love of what you have 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you love all that stuff more than you are ready to follow him, fact of the matter is you can come in here and you can sit every single week, but you'll never be a disciple until you're ready to go. I'm ready to lay it all at the foot of the cross and follow him. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be. This is not a cannot be like, I'm not gonna let you. This is a cannot be like, you can't, they can't do that. It's not possible. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now there's more to come next week, like I've told you. There's a, I, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I, I knew that I'd get to this point and it'd be real, well, this is terrible. Okay? And, and I don't want you to leave this week with that feeling. I'm gonna tell you right now, there, there's, a, there's a joyful aspect to this killing of the flesh. Okay? It, my wife and I, we've had a lot of fun over the years talking about killing the flesh. I mean, when I was talking earlier about, like, kill the flesh, kill... We've literally, as a couple, talked about that with the, each other. Kill the flesh, kill the flesh. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's an enjoyable element to just saying, this is what God's called you to do. I might be crazy, but I think there's some fun you can have with this. When you start recognizing the flesh... Honestly, when you start recognizing the flesh, I mean, God, God himself scoffs at the actions of the wicked, you can start to take that approach of like when the flesh starts giving you those same old lies, instead of being like, oh man, sometimes it's good to go, that's stupid. You're stupid, self. <laughs> stupid. And so my wife reminded me of this song this week. There's this song, and I had completely forgotten about it. It's a song, who is it, Casting Crowns? Mercy Me. It's a breakup song to self. Has anybody heard this song before? It's a breakup song to self. So here's what I'm going to do. I, this is not the normal way. I mean, I know we were so waiting. I probably should, if I was a really good pastor, I'd say, let's have a time of, and everybody come up, you know. Uh, instead, I'm going to send you out with a song. So I'm going to start the song, and if you want to listen to it, sit down and listen to it, enjoy it. If you're like, nah, I can go, I'm starving, then fine, give in to self. <laughs> That's not in my notes. I should stop. I should stop talking. Um, I'm gonna give one more serious verse, and then I'm gonna play this song. Okay, when I play the song, I'm just gonna I'm gonna hit play. I'm gonna go sit down. I'm gonna listen to it myself. And once it's done, you're dismissed. Okay, so uh, I I'm gonna dismiss you with a silly song. Okay, um, but I do want to give one more serious verse before I go. Um, there's a there's a reality to all of this that Paul and, and I'm gonna be honest with you. This this is the kind of verse that I don't think that you should ever say to the, somebody in the middle of hard suffering, but there's a reality here that Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. Think about the worst sufferings you've experienced or somebody you know has experienced, this worst, the worst sufferings. Paul says this about those things. They're not worth, like the depth of the suffering, how deep that is, does, is not worth comparing. Like when you compare things, like, there's this and there's this. But if somebody says it's not worth comparing, it's because the other one's so much bigger that the other one, you look at the other one, you're like, it's not even worth comparing. Like, why even hold them up next to each other? It's ridiculous. 
And Paul says, the sufferings that you experience in this life, the worst of the worst, the depth, the deepness of it, doesn't compare to the, whatever's coming, and that's where actually Jesus goes next, when he's giving his disciples reasons to die, deny himself, take up the cross and follow. He, he starts talking about words like glory, right? The sufferings you experience are not worth comparing to the glory that's gonna be revealed. Now, you'll have to cling to that with just loose fingers because I, I don't know if there's a person on this planet that can fully grasp it. The disciples are gonna get a glimpse of it, okay? Coming up in Luke. There's glorious things coming. And I know that those who have denied themselves and taken up their cross all of their lives and followed him, there's not gonna be a single one of them that's gonna get there and go, well, that was a waste. But every single one of us are gonna look at what's being revealed and go, it's so worth it. Go ahead and pray before you go. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are ready to break up with ourselves. Lord, help us this week to deny self. I can feel self in me right now raising its ugly head. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to fight against it, Lord, to deny self this week, to take up our crosses and follow after.